Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome back. Go back, Garnch Friday on a Thursday, but we're taping this on a Thursday, and then it comes out on Friday. That's confusing, but it makes sense when you do the weekly outline here. Uh, I am one of two people on this call who uh, predicted that the Tennessee Volunteers would beat the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, two weeks ago. Now um, it's it feels good. It feels just as good as it did uh, two weeks ago, Ryan. Uh, and look, if you want to make it a public apology. I understand that. Um, that now is the opportunity. Fudge the cat makes an appearance in the pod. Um, he would also like you to uh, make that formal apology. That's probably why he just hopped up on the on the table is because not only has Ryan um, gone against the university, the audacity to wear red once again following uh, the Tennessee Alabama win when he picked Alabama in Alabama red just two weeks ago is so beyond the pale of what i thought was ryan was capable of <laughs> just I, d- I don't know what to do with this anymore i feel like you're you shouldn't even be allowed on go big orange friday anymore like what is this ryan is it a bit like are we committing to a bit here what what's the deal are you trying to make sure that people understand that you are an impartial journalist now like what what is going on well the the impartial journalist keeps me from wearing orange uh, on mm. this program but the vast majority my my wardrobe, my closet, whatever the correct terminology would be, is blue. And so mm. I was just trying to avoid the same things I did last time by wearing the red. I said, I don't want to wear Kentucky blue on here. Mm. Now, I didn't really think that one through because I, again, wore, <laughs> it's not exactly crimson, but it's a, it's a darker red in the crimson, yeah. uh, in the crimson family. But no, I mean, I am, I am figuratively on my knees uh, apologizing to you and kissing your feet at what a what a great prediction you have because basically everything you said about the game was true you said uh, there's no way that or you said i don't see anybody holding tennessee lost 40 points uh tennessee scored 50 points and mm-hmm. they needed them they needed every one of them uh, and you were dead on it and i think probably the most satisfying no not the most satisfying but one of the really satisfying things about that win for tennessee and if i go back and think about our podcast two weeks ago is tennessee got bryce shung at his best Mm. Hey, maybe he wasn't, you know, maybe he's still a little bit banged up, but he played really, really darn good in that game. And it's hard to imagine he plays any better if these two teams meet in the SEC championship. So Tennessee took that punch and still got a, a massive win. And credit to you. You were you were all over it even past the fact that you had Tennessee winning with the details of how you thought the game would play out. That was incredible. That that feels good, Ryan. You're back in. You're back in the Go Big Orange Friday family. Uh, Ethan, who knows where he is these days. Ethan's all over the place. Married guy um doing his thing um i think he's just in hiding after the carnage beat down from oak ridge uh, a few weeks back he it's been rough uh over there in carnes tennessee but you know uh there's always next year is what the good folks say uh ryan um when we look at this game on saturday uh it's interesting that you brought up the bryce young aspect of this and like tennessee took um the best shots from bryce young and still came up came out on top 52 49 Will Levis is in that same category of future NFL first rounder. Um, He's going to be asked to do a lot like for them to be in the game. He is going to have to do a lot. Uh, 
Bryce Young is a much better quarterback than Will Levis. And yep. I saw like a, a friend of the pod, Mike Renner, had a PFF mock. And I think I saw um, what Levis was in the top 10 again in his draft. And I go through different things. It's amazing to see Hooker now popping in as like he's probably going to be a day two guy. Um, and look, if they run the gauntlet, he wins the Heisman. I don't think it's out of the question that he's a day one player. I think he's right now like worst case scenario day two, which is incredible. Also for the program is guys want to see Tennessee guys get drafted and Darnell Wright. I saw sneaking into some mocks in the first round. Cedric Tillman, we'll see how he looks after he gets uh, healthy and how he looks on the stretch. But all that's really good for Tennessee because you want to have these guys drafted and drafted high um, to you know, get more and more of these recruits. But I look at this and I'm like, I just don't understand why Tennessee fans are the least bit concerned about Kentucky on Saturday. I have not lost one iota of sleep over Kentucky coming into Knoxville on Saturday. The line is about two touchdowns in favor of uh, the Vols. I, I like, <laughs> I just don't see it. The offensive line being as bad as it has been for Kentucky to this point. Um, people are like, oh, time in possession. It's like, okay, you didn't watch Kentucky, Tennessee last year. Tennessee had the ball for like 11 minutes total and scored 49 points. Um, like that's not, they had the ball for 22 minutes against Alabama. Um, didn't matter, scored 50. Time of possession is not a factor. I don't know why that's still cited for Tennessee games or why coaches are still like, I think Rich Gangarello this week was like, oh, we're not going to get in a scoring match. I'm paraphrasing here, but just like, we're not worried about scoring 50. And it's like, well, you should be like, what, at what point do some guy just go, all right, we need to throw some stuff out. Like Chris Rodriguez should not probably get 30 carries for 200 yards. Like that's probably not a recipe for winning. Like Florida was in the Tennessee game because Anthony Richardson was doing stuff in the air. Like that was it. It wasn't because of uh, their rushing attack. It was because uh, Tennessee had no answers and they uh, for Ricky Pearsall shorter in company and that's where you attack and i just i don't think kentucky has the guys i don't think will levis can play that kind of game that bryce did where you have to play near flawless football um because you know tennessee's going to score like the there's so much pressure that tennessee's offense puts on the people think about the defense but on the other team's offense that i think is uh overlooked where they should go in telling them hey you've got to score 50 to win like bar none you're gonna have to score 50 to win on the road in tennessee and i just i don't see that from this uh uh kentucky team do you have the same sentiment going in ryan i do uh, overall i think what where the concern comes from and you mentioned the time of possession and you're right that that doesn't matter i think it's the number of possessions i think mm. it's the fact that kentucky could feasibly shorten this game and give tennessee less possessions and Kentucky does a good job of limiting big plays. And if Tennessee isn't good in the red zone or makes a few uncharacteristic mistakes, then you look up in the fourth quarter and it's a competitive game. And mm. uh, that's the path to Kentucky, you know, winning or, or making it tight. But I'm with you. I don't think this is a good matchup for Kentucky because even though Kentucky can, it does a really good job of limiting big plays and explosive plays. Hannon Hooker is, isn't that going to force the ball? He's going to mm. take what the defense gives him. He's going to be able to, uh, Tennessee's going to be able to drive the ball down the field eight, ten plays, and Tennessee's offense is as good as any in the country in the red zone. Uh, I mean, they've scored in every they've scored touchdowns in every single goal to goal uh, time they've had it this year. They've scored, I believe, all but one time in the red zone. It, it's, I think it it negates a lot of what Kentucky does good or does well uh, on defense. And you also look the weakness of this Kentucky defense is this pass rush. And to me, if, if you're really going to slow down Tennessee's offense, you're going to have to be good uh, up front and force Tennessee into third and longs and then get after him and Hooker and really be able to pin pin your ears back and go get him in the pass rush, which I don't think this Kentucky team is built to do. 
And then flipping it to the other side, uh, I think you've really hit the nail on the head. I think with Kentucky's struggles on the offensive line and running the ball, Will Levis is going to be asked to do a lot. And I almost see it. I almost see the Kentucky offense versus Tennessee defense similarly to how I see how I saw LSU's offense against Tennessee's defense. Will Evans is better than Jaden Daniels. He's a better thrower, but he's going to be forced into a lot of third and longs, and his offensive line is not very good. And I think this is a game where Tennessee's defensive line, Tennessee's pass rush, is going to be able to have success. And look, go back and look at watch the Alabama game. Tennessee was in the backfield a lot. They couldn't bring, bring Bryce Young down. I mean, he was able to uh, evade blitzers, evade Tennessee defense alignment at an extremely high rate. And while Will Levis is certainly a highly talented prospect, what you said in the open is very accurate. He's not Bryce Young, and he certainly does not have that elusiveness uh, to get away from blitzers that, that Young did. Um, when you look at uh, another element of this, which is how does Tennessee score 24 points or fewer? And the reason I bring that up is Cole Kublik of um, – ESPN had this stat where it's like Tennessee has scored at least 30 points in 10 straight games, longest in program history. Kentucky football has allowed 24 fewer in 11 straight games, longest active streak in FBS. Like, how does that happen? If there is a path to it, like in the very, very unlikely scenario where Tennessee scores 24 points or less against Kentucky on Saturday night, how does that actually happen? I think it starts with, well, what I said a minute ago, Tennessee has less possessions. Tennessee muffs a punt. They fumble a kickoff return, and they just hand the possession to Kentucky. They turn it over a couple times. They settle for field goals in the red zone. It would probably be the biggest one because it's just Tennessee has been so good at finishing drives with touchdowns if they get deep in their opponent's territory. But I, don't, I just don't see it, you know, to, mm. to your point. And you go back and look at who Kentucky's played in that stretch. It goes back to the Tennessee game last year. Vanderbilt, New Mexico State, uh, Louisville, Iowa, Miami of Ohio, 40, Youngstown State, Northern Illinois, uh, Ole Miss, South Carolina, and Mississippi State. Mississippi State's about the only good offense in there. I mean, Florida's probably a fringe good offense, too. Kentucky hasn't seen anything uh, like – and that's not there's – no, there's no offense like Tennessee's in the SEC. There's maybe one offense in the country like Tennessee's. It's just a different playing field uh, with as efficient as Tennessee's been on offense this season. So – that's the path to doing it if you're Kentucky, but I don't see that being overly viable. I don't either. Um, but we'll see if that, I mean, it's just an unreal scenario where it's just the, we're like, Oh, Hinton Hooker has two fumbles. Jabari small has a fumble. He throws one pick or something like some kind of pick six or like will Levis air mail to pick six last year. Um, that really kind of changed the game with, uh, Lante Taylor that he took back to the house. Um, and they weren't really able to get out of that hole. I also just think Tennessee is just a lot better and it's at home. Like, I think that's just a big part of this. It's just Tennessee is much better uh, than where they were a year ago. And I think this Kentucky team is worse uh, than where they were a year ago. I am curious though, because you talked about the, the offensive line, Tennessee's defensive line struggled against Alabama. Um, Tyler Barron did not have a good showing. Byron Young did not get to Bryce Young really at all. Um, two weeks ago. I'm curious, do you think they have a better showing and you're, you look in on Sunday morning at the PFF grades, do you see Byron Young, Latrell Bumpus, uh, Barron, maybe even Joshua Josephs getting home a lot more? Do you actually see that? Or do you think you saw something on uh, Saturday, two weeks ago, that kind of makes you think mm, they're going to be in zone a lot. They're not going to blitz nearly as much as uh, they had maybe a few weeks ago and uh, it's more conservative. What, what do you think? 
I don't think so. I mean, you mm. look at the one game they've really played conservative this year. It was the Florida game, and that mm. certainly that strategy did not was not effective for them in that game. So I think Tennessee, you'll see them bring a lot of pressure, specifically on those guys. To me, that it almost feels like it's been game game by game with how effective purely the defense alignment have been because they've gotten pressure in other games when those guys haven't played great just because they blitz a lot. And Jeremy Banks has been really really effective there. I, I've liked either way. I like the way they've used that, and they've used him specifically because. Look, Tennessee's linebackers, they're not good in coverage. And you're not consistent getting pressure, getting home with bringing four guys in pressure. So blitz those guys a lot. And your secondary, try to give it as little time as they have to cover as possible. So I like the way, really, besides that Florida game, that they've been really aggressive on defense. I think that continues in this game. How do I feel specifically You know, about the, the, those defense alignment? I think it's hard to say, but I do think, again, this is probably with – Similar to LSU, I think LSU and Kentucky are the two worst offensive lines Tennessee's seen against Power 5 teams this year. And Tennessee's defensive line, I mean, Byron Young, but had two and a half sacks in that game against LSU. Tyler Barron was really active and effective. I believe Joshua Joseph had a sack in that game, too. Uh, I think you'll see uh, Tennessee's pass rush be more successful this week than they've been for most of the season. I like it. Um, when you look at what happened last Saturday in the UT Martin game, especially, especially the second half, was there anyone that you monitored and you were pretty, pretty excited about snaps wise that showed that they've come a long way and you're, you're more excited about, uh, than you had been previously? Not really. I mean, maybe squirrel white just yeah. because we, we see it, saw him look really good. I thought Dylan Sampson ran the ball well too, but it's like with his offensive guys and, and something I've talked about on here before. They're going to take Jalen Hyatt off the field to give Squirrel White more snaps? I don't think so. Maybe, yeah. but I don't think so. Uh, defensively, I mean, there were some guys that did some good things, but I, I just didn't think you saw enough consistency uh, from anybody in the second half to think that it's really going to change the course of, of playing time the rest of the season. Is it Crawford now at left tackle going forward? Is he the starter, do you think? Is it now Crawford? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, what, what Mincy's status is just seems yeah. to be confusing to me because he's been in and out and then back in and back out. So I don't know. I don't really know what's going on there. If that's a lingering injury that he's been able to play through, but give credit to Jeremiah Crawford. I mean, it, there doesn't seem like there's been much of a drop off there uh, without Mincy. I do think Mincy's probably, you know, better still in pass protection, but I think Crawford is better in the run game too than Mincy is. And, Tennessee's run game, especially looking at Alabama game, especially looking the second half, was just really consistent. It's just what Tennessee needed. I think their longest run from a running back in that game was like 11 yards. They don't need the chunk plays in the run game. I mean, it's great when you get them, but they can make them in the passing game. And they just – the fact that they were able to run for, what, it was like 170 as a team, and I think 130 from the running backs with the longest run being 11 yards, shows how consistently – I mean, they were getting four to eight yards seemingly every time they ran the ball, which when Tennessee's offense is able to do that with the playmakers they have on the outside, it's, it's nearly impossible to defend. Yeah, when you look at it, would be nice if we could just, uh, without it being obvious, Crawford being in on pass or on running plays and Mincy being on, <laughs> yeah. on passing downs. I think they might figure that one out pretty quickly. Uh, that way of doing things, but um, I am curious: is there a matchup on the offensive line because like they've just played so well and they were so good in the Alabama uh, game protecting Hendon Hooker? Do you expect uh, the same to be true against what Kentucky's front seven is going to throw at uh, Tennessee, or do you think there's a chance that they? They struggle more with what Kentucky does. On the offset, I, on the outset, I say no. I do wonder if Kentucky blitzes more. Because one, Tennessee, <laughs> I had it as a major key to that game against Alabama. I think they were only in four third and longs. And mm -hmm. when they were in 
third and intermediate, third and short, Alabama wasn't going to blitz. And even in third and long, they weren't going to blitz. So they had not much, at least, because they had a lot of confidence in, in that cheetah package and that those outside linebackers who were obviously really, really good uh, rushing the passer. Kentucky, what they have under defensive line, it's nothing compared to what Tennessee saw against Alabama. But does that force them to be more aggressive blitzing and in turn make uh, life a little bit more difficult for Tennessee's offensive line? Maybe Kentucky really has not been a heavy blitz team this year. They've been very much focused on keeping things in front of them. So my overall thought is no. Uh, but, you know, maybe if, if Kentucky gets a little bit more creative trying to get after Hooker, then uh, that changes and becomes a little bit more of a challenge. But one that I think they're uh, equipped to handle really either way. Jalen McCall, do you think he plays on Saturday? That's a fascinating one. I, I kind of think he might. Uh, again, I don't, you know, know anything 100%, but just the way he's now been cleared by two different boards at Tennessee, including an I was going to say, he was cleared last week too, correct? For, yeah, so it was play, the, yeah, it was the student conduct board last week. He could have played and then an independent review board uh, approved him again this week, which, you know, reading between the lines seems to me to be saying that the people above Heifel or Tennessee are saying you are fine to play him if you want. Now, does Heifel bite that bullet and play him with him still having the uh, charge, uh, aggravated assault charge? Who knows? Be frank. I think Danico Slaughter's played about as well as Jalen McCullough, at least did in the Alabama game. Um, and he didn't get a ton of action last week. It's obviously, he got lopsided pretty quickly against UT Martin. So we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Jalen McCullough back out there. Heifel kind of said today there was no change to his status. That's how he started it. And then mm -hmm. he ended it by saying, we'll see. Which kind of seems to indicate maybe there is a little bit of change to his status. But uh, I'd rather just announce it and then see what the response is. And then be like, all right, we have to walk this back. He can't play. Like, I would rather get ahead of it and just say he's playing. And then if like there's a bunch of like national pushback or even local pushback, you're like, all right, I guess we like he's pulled until um, uh, the the Knoxville PD part of it is over. Like I'd rather just get it over with. Yes, but I don't think they're gonna. If they made that decision, I don't think they're gonna backtrack on it. Would be my thing. Mm. So I think you, if he's just out there on the field on Saturday on a college football Saturday, maybe there's gonna be Pat Forday or Dan Wolkin's gonna tweet about it once, but. <laughs> It's going to get lost in the in the mix of things where if he announced it today, it would probably be a decent size, you know, college football storyline. Tennessee is back, though. People forget with stuff like this. <laughs> this is how, you know, uh, an SEC program is on the upswing uh, when you're uh, when this kind of stuff is popping up now. Um, I am curious to see what happens. But like you said, Danico has been fine. And I don't think it's it's not. It's not a devastating blow either way. Um, if they don't have it, it's just a depth thing. Like he would just rather have the depth of like we just have Danico, um, or Jalen as an option. But it would also be better if one of those guys played corner. Like that would be that would be best because like I don't. It, it's a fun story, I guess. Uh, that the walk on uh thirty six. What is his name? Right? Is it William Wright? Yeah, William Wright. Yeah, I always want to say Wesley Wright. Yeah, William Wright. Um, who got a lot of action on Saturday. Um, I guess Kamel Haddon's back for this one. I'm guessing Christian Charles is good to go. Um, I don't know. Like, are, is D Williams actually going to play corner? Cause he was listed. I know you just, you tweeted out the depth chart and he's like number two behind, um, Charles, right? Like, and he didn't really get many snaps last week at corner. I, I don't know. The one thing about D he's going to break one on a power. He's going to break like, one. He, it's happening. Like, I don't know yeah. why if people are not ready for this. D Williams is breaking a punt return for six. Like hopefully it's the Saturday, but he is unbelievable. There, there are some strong Devin Hester vibes with D Williams returning punts. I'm all for it. He's going to do it. 
You're right. I'm 100% with you. Like, I feel like I had the conversation at halftime in the press box last week, like three different people where we were all either myself or someone else broke up, broke out and said, you know, D. Williams is going to house one at some point. And I mean, he was, he looks really good. Uh, and I think I'm if he you. played the full year, he's already housed one. I think that's part of it. Only coming in in the middle of the year um, kind of limited him coming in at LSU. But like, I think Ball State or something, he already he already has one to the house. Yeah, he's he missed two of his three, you know, mm. opportunities against you know really teams that are going to be outmatched by what he yeah. can do uh, on special teams. So it doesn't seem like he's very high on the pecking order at corner right yeah. now. I mean, even given how many people Tennessee had out on Saturday, he played, but he wasn't one of the guys leading the way in snaps or anything. So to me, his role, if Tennessee can remain even just somewhat healthy at corner, which is hasn't been a given this season that you're, you're not going to see a ton of D Williams on defense. There you go. Um, Tennessee baseball, you had a, a piece outlining uh, your notes and observations from fall ball for the Vols. Um, you, uh, what did you see this fall? Who are you most excited about? Who, um, who, who stock rose and who stock slid this fall, Ryan? Blake Burke, and this obviously is nothing groundbreaking for me, but I mean, he, he's, he's unbelievable. I mean, he might hit 25 home runs this season. He hit one earlier this week when I, when I was watching a line drive over the video board. I mean, the ball was still, <laughs> the ball was still rising as it went over the video board. And then he just mm-hmm. hit a casual home run in his next at bat. He's looked great, which obviously that's no surprise uh, on the mound. Uh, Wyatt Evans, who was a freshman last year and kind of an outside guy looking in and Tennessee's bullpen left-handed arm. He's been really, really impressive. I wouldn't be surprised to see him push uh, at least for a you know, starting spot in the weekend rotation. Obviously it's going to be really difficult to unseat any of those guys. So I'm not going to predict that he will, um, but He's looked really good, and then uh, one guy that's really kind of been another kind of similar boat freshman last year who redshirted Austin Jaslow, who's from Knoxville. He's been really good. I don't know what his path to the, you know, he's a shortstop, and, and certainly Maui is going to be Tennessee's starter there. And, and Maui's been kind of up and down with the bat, really, really good with the glove. I mean, he's made some really kind of jaw-dropping plays. And then it's been good to watch a lot of the, the junior college guys on the mountain. Uh, Jacob Benby probably been uh, the most impressive. Will Jenkins, uh, who's, excuse me, Bryce Jenkins, who's uh, also a Knoxville native who went to Cleveland State for a year. Both those guys have impressed when I've watched them. And, and it was funny watching you know, Chase Dollander through a couple innings uh, last week at a scrimmage. And there were more MLB scouts there than there were fans at midweek games the first mm. couple of years I covered the team. I mean, it was like I walked in. I was like, what? I, I didn't even know that Dollander was pitching that day. And I walked in. I was like, "What's what's going on here? Why are there so many people here?" And then I saw who walked out on the mound to pitch the first couple innings, and it, it made a lot of sense. And as expected, he looked really good. Dolander looks like he's going to be a top what three pick next year. He's in that conversation now. Uh, I would think so. I mean, obviously, pitchers uh, going number one has kind of become rare. But to me, it seems like Dylan Cruz and Chase Dolander. 1A and 1B in the draft right now, and, and you're right. Unless he has an injury or just like a shockingly poor year, I would think he, he's certainly at the very least a top five pick. Let's hope so. That would be uh, that would be a fun fun time um, to get either uh, in that uh, situation. But um, 
Tennessee basketball exhibition Gonzaga uh, this weekend. Uh, you know what? I would have liked uh, this actually just be a regular game. Uh, what? How about this? What if this was not an exhibition? They just played an actual basketball game between these two schools. What if they did that? I like I saw the, the exhibition stuff and I'm like, this is dumb. I'm not spending time with the exhibition. Uh, apologies for dumping on uh, your, how you're going to spend your time this weekend uh, briefly, <laughs> Ryan. But that I'm just like, I, I would rather you know let's uh let's play an actual basketball game i think fans might want to see gonzaga tennessee on uh like even if you can't play at gonzaga play at tennessee why not Mark well, certainly it would be real nice it'd be real nice if they played at tennessee tennessee doesn't yeah. have a good you know non-conference game before sec play starts they do get texas at home in, in the big 12 sec challenge you're yeah. right you know I, I think it would certainly be preferable to it being a regular season game but tennessee kind of already added six big name or not all power five uh, or power six even um opponents already set and that kind of seems to be the number they like to get to so to me it's still you know it's kind of a real glass glass half full glass half empty situation it's easy to look mm -hmm. at it and i agree with you that way like yeah i wish they were playing it in the regular season but i'm also glad they're playing gonzaga in the exhibition game rather than lenore ryan in a game that we're going to learn absolutely nothing about tennessee and that's typically what they play you know a division two II, division three team who Again, we, we don't glean anything from the game. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how the balls look against, you know, uh, it's, you always say in college basketball that early season litmus test, this is a preseason litmus test, but it, it should be pretty interesting. Uh, the next big recruit who commits to Tennessee football will be who? I'll say Davion Hobbs. I mean, I don't know. Oh. If he's gonna commit to I don't know if he's going to commit to Tennessee or anything, but I don't, I don't know of anybody that's, imminently approaching a commitment either and obviously he already has his commitment date set for november so uh, it seems like that one's still up in the air it's still a battle tennessee georgia alabama i think he's supposed to be in athens next weekend for the tennessee game and uh, obviously he was at both the florida and alabama games for tennessee and if the balls can keep the momentum rolling and uh pick up a, another a third massive win on the season uh with him in attendance that would probably be even do even more for their chances of landing the, the five-star defense alignment out of north carolina I like it. I like it. So your pick, uh, what is your pick and score prediction for Kentucky tomorrow or on Saturday? Tennessee's going to win. I hadn't really thought about my final score prediction much. I'll say 42-28. I think it's mm. two touch, you know, 10 points to the two touchdowns. It's, it's kind of the range I see this one being in. It's one where you look at the line, I would be hesitant to bet Tennessee just because I could see Kentucky slowing the game down. And it being a game where Tennessee controls it start to finish, you never feel like Tennessee's going to lose. You always feel like Tennessee's in control, but they just aren't really completely able to balloon the lead and uh, make it a blowout. But uh, it'll be interesting. And I do, you know, kind of like we said at the start, I think maybe maybe it's because of the Georgia game next week and people think Tennessee's going to be looking over this game, but I don't get some of the upset concerns that we, we've kind of seen people bring up for this game i'm gonna say 45 i'm gonna say 45 21 you think, I think they blow the it second out? half is ugly i think yeah. that's what, yeah I, I just i don't see it i don't think kentucky plays well from behind and this is just gonna be this can be rough this might be uh a decapitation pretty early I think you're right about it being, you know, if Tennessee can get up early and make Kentucky play from behind, especially when you get a yeah. two-possession lead in the first quarter and make Kentucky play from behind, they're just not equipped to do that. And you talked about the pressure that it puts Tennessee's offense puts on opponents' offenses. We've seen that so many times. I mean, we really – the Florida and LSU games were the nth degree of that where just desperation go for it on fourth down. And you saw against Florida, Tennessee wasn't able to get off the field on fourth down, so they were never able to capitalize on it. 
But you saw the LSU game. Tennessee gets three stops on fourth down, and that just completely changes the dynamic of the game, and LSU wasn't able to recover. If Tennessee can cap it. strike me as the guy who's going to do that kind of stuff. He's going to go conservative with this, I think. I agree, generally speaking. But, again, if Tennessee's offense looks invincible like it has for every game except for the Pittsburgh game this season, and Tennessee's up 14-3 to in the second quarter, I think he's almost forced to. Like, you're Mm. right. He's not the guy that would be desperate, but – I think Tennessee's offense can make people who aren't desperate become pretty desperate pretty quickly in games. Interesting. Um, I also will say, and we wrap up here, is the UT Martin one. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I like came out of that second half. Obviously, four-hour game. Uh, insanity. Ridiculous. Unbelievable how that game just kept going and going and going. And look, 65 points is 65 points. I think it was bad that Tennessee had to do what they did in the second half. Can I have a, a just a... I don't know if this is a strong take. I think this is bad that you had to put your foot off the gray, uh, the gas for two quarters where Joe Milton is like actively trying not to do anything positive in these, like in a couple drives where they're like, we're running directly up the middle. We're not playing how we want to play whatsoever to not run up the score on UT Martin. I don't think that's good for anybody involved. I think this score should have been like, I, I think we need to have like a national conversation about, um, what is uh, the proper etiquette in these games? Because I think Tennessee should not have had to spend the whole second half trying not to play Tennessee football. And it was just a waste of time where I was like, I feel like this kind of like gets you out of a rhythm where you're doing stuff that you're never going to do the rest of the season and getting this mindset where you're like,